So I was thinking about names for my new tea shop. How about the Jasmine Dragon? It's dramatic, poetic, has a nice ring to it. Uncle Iroh. Bending Not Breaking, The Gifts of Imperfection Edition. Episode 10, Guidepost 9. Cultivating Meaningful Work, Letting Go of Self-Doubt and Supposed To. Back to Bending Not Breaking. This is Ben Pruitt, your host for this mini-series on the Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And we are, of course, featuring all of the content from the Avatar universe, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, all the comics and the novels, all the things, all the canon things. And so this is episode 11 of the mini-series, and that is pretty intense. I'm really excited about it. We only have a couple more left. We're going to do Guidepost 10. And then we're going to do a wrap-up episode on the Gifts of Imperfection. And I'm really excited to tie all of those loose ends up because we are starting the next season of Bending Not Breaking, which is season two, book two, if you will, of The Legend of Korra. And we have some pretty great guests lined up for that season, and I'm really excited to dive in to all of those things. So, uh cool thing about today though is we are working again on this guidepost nine and we've had some really great special guests big shout out to everyone that's joined us so far today though i'm really excited to include someone that many of you probably know and love and that's right everybody today we are blessed with the wonderful glorious sunshine oh man hey (laughs) Hey, hey, Ben, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, what a great <laughs> guest to have. What a time. Yeah. Look at us. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Sunshine, if you've only been listening to me, uh, this is my favorite co-host from our main segment of the podcast. And so, Sunshine, tell me about your relationship with Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, well, you know, it goes back. Uh, I, I actually have my uh, a podcast about it. Do you? Yeah, it's this. Um, no, this is, yeah, I'm loving this. I, it's been really great listening to all the episodes that you've been doing. I appreciate you holding down the fort the way that you have been, um, because sometimes work, work happens, right? Like Mm. life and work and things and so much is going on and, and wedding planning. And yeah, so it's been nice to be able to, for you to kind of do these episodes as we kind of prep plan and take a little time for ourselves over, uh, the last few months, so yeah. it's but it's, it's going to be good to get back into the flow of things. Yeah, um, and, and, and talk like about everyone's weeks. probably everyone's favorite season of anything that has to do with Avatar: The Last yes. Airbender, season two of Legend of Korra. Yeah, so much there, so much to love. I'm really excited about it myself. Um, I that was not sarcastic as much as like I don't get, think like, people love it. No, I, I like it. Yeah, I really actually enjoy. I it. enjoy it. <laughs> From um, a fact that, like, I'm engaged. I don't enjoy it as in there are moments in this season, upcoming oh, it makes season, me that you're like, no! Yeah. <laughs> and then there's reactions from the fandom where you're like, no! Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, but other than that, yeah, I'm really excited to have guests on and, and get back into it. So it's going to be fun. And then Max will be back at some point. Yeah. We not, love him. Not at this time, but. Uh, not at this time. But we, we love Max. We yeah. love Max all the time. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. So, so let's so, talk Brene Brown. It's not something we do very frequently. No, never, never. <laughs> we don't ever. She never comes up. Um, okay, let's get some logistics out of the way. Just for a reminder for everybody, we're discussing in the 10th anniversary edition of the Gifts of Imperfection, Guidepost 9, 141 through 148. Uh, and again, next week we'll be tackling Guidepost 10. So be prepared for that. Um, that'll be 149 through 158 for those of you who are curious. And so loving getting those logistics out of the way. Now we can dive into the content. So when's the first time you heard of Brene Brown? Like what is like, let's, let's actually have the conversation. What is your relationship and what have you read and what's your deal with Brene Brown? It had to be back 2013. Maybe I think you gave me daring greatly as a gift. Sounds about right. Um, <laughs> and that was content that in the work that I was doing, which was a lot of leadership development and youth development, it felt really relevant to the way that we engage with the world around us, the way that we connect with others, the way that shame and guilt and all of these things can act as barriers to that, the way that when we kind of work on those things, our ability to take feedback and not be on the defensive and still feel value in our work when we messed up, all those types of things mm came into play but that took work and i so you know for me it's i've ever since then i've been able to dive into each of her books some i like more than others some are great for leadership team development some are more great for introspective work um some are feel can feel like rehashes of just other material but kind of packaged differently to be yeah. to be useful in certain situations and um but it's always been been nice to be able to look at those and, and kind of reflect on that personally or, or with yeah. the team. So I've used them in, in book clubs for professional work. I've used them as uh, teaching tools for, for up and coming young professionals. And mm. um, so it'll be great to kind of dive into that more here today and, yeah. and what that looks like, especially through this lens of that we're talking about. Yeah. And so I want to really kind of lift up. So for everybody uh, who is wondering why sunshine is here. It's not just because like, he was like, can I come back for an episode? It was like, I specifically wanted him to speak to this episode because sunshine, uh, if, as I understand your experience right now, you have been cultivating over the past many a year this sense of what is meaningful at work for you. And you've also been grappling with this idea of feeling like I'm supposed to and there's doubt present for you. And I'm just curious because I think that you will have a pretty helpful and unique perspective on this lens in particular. So as I say that, what, what, what comes up for you? So I, I went the nonprofit route right out of college. I initially wasn't going to. I was yeah. initially an advertising major, and I think I realized, honestly, early in my collegiate career that that wasn't something I was interested in doing, but I didn't know what the next path was. And then I started working um, in youth programs with nonprofits and really loved it, found passion there, found meaning there found like I was being useful and that my skill sets were contributing well to those things. Mm. Um, and so I've done that for the last 12 years and have loved it. And there's been ups and downs, but I think the past two years have always have brought, not always, but in the past two years, you start to think about so many other facets of life being part of who we are and what we do. Yeah as you grow and change and so much growth can take place over 12 years, 
you start to realize is this meaningful work that still is meaningful or still feels meaningful am i the one to, to continue doing that meaningful work mm. or is there other stuff for me to do yeah um and i think everyone rumbles with that in some way shape or form as you grow and develop i used to love being a lifeguard um and found that as being meaningful work and work that i really enjoyed and had a purpose i have no interest in being a lifeguard yeah right now um but i still view that job as one that serves a wonderful purpose right so i there's as you look at yourself look at what you're doing i think it is very healthy to ask questions along the way to figure out what your next step might be or what that looks like and how that comes together and how do you do that in a way that services your values yeah that's really interesting that you kind of lift that up how I, I think a lot of times we ask children, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I hate that question. Tell me more. I, I, it's, it's weird because as you cultivate creativity and cultivate identity with those that are around us, I think one of the most, not that that question is bad, but a question that I like more is, what problem do you want to solve when you grow up? Or mm. what is something that you really love doing that you would love to make a career of? Or what is important to you? Mm. And, and what, how do you see that? You know, in, you can ask those questions to eight-year-olds. What problem do you see in the world that you want to solve? Yeah. Um, and I think that those are better questions because you're not attaching your self-worth to a title or thing, but you're, you're, discovering and navigating mm. the things that might be meaningful to you in the future. Well, so what I'm hearing you say, and tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but I'm, I'm hearing you say that there's a little bit of attachment of self-worth to the idea of asking, what do you want to do when you grow up? Right. And well, it also makes it, it minimizes the living that you're doing currently, right? Like that that's not meaningful. Um, even with children, I feel like that that's, that might be too far down the thread, but I th- I want to be a doctor. Oh, awesome. Great. Do that. I want to keep my community clean. And so, you know, working in a, in a way that is, has to do with sanitation. Oh, no. Don't do that. So there's a lot of judgment around their responses. And I think parents do that all the time. I think people do that all the time. I've yeah. done it, you know, right? So, yeah. um, but I think as we create empathetic cultures... Yeah. Um, talking about what problems do you see? What gives you purpose? Mm-hmm. How would you like to support others with what you do in the future? Well, earlier I heard you. There was a you, there was a difference between what was meaningful for you and jobs that serve a purpose, right? right. So, what's the difference between what is meaningful for you and what is per, what is purposeful? Is there a difference? Like, what's what's your thought process there? So, I th- uh, square, <laughs> rectangle. Okay. Rectangle, square, if that makes sense. Um, some things can have meaning, but they might not give me specifically purpose. But they might be incredibly valid ways to support community or to be a part of things or to navigate the world around you. So, lifeguarding incredibly meaningful right or per- has a purpose right like yeah. that's something that serves a purpose and can be very helpful it's not what's currently meaningful to me yeah um and i think that that can can navigate based off what your value system is what are your cornerstone values what are um what is your life dictating at the moment because there are certain things that i think are meaningful that have to be like 
do you want to support a family? It's cool if you don't, if you, but if you do, what's important and how do you make decisions that service that, if that's something that's important yeah, to you? That's important too. Um, and I think that that's the question. So it's, you know, one of those things, do you want to support a family? If you don't want to support a family and that's not what's life giving to you, then don't do that. If you do yeah. excellent either way, whichever one is the life giving version of that. Yeah. Make decisions in service of that moving yeah. forward. So I, just to put a, a put my finger right on it, I, I'm I'm hearing that any position, again, you've been using the lifeguard as a position, might have a distinct, unique, and necessary purpose. Correct. It may not be meaningful for you at this moment. Correct. Even though you felt meaning doing it at a prior time. Yeah, absolutely. And so what I'm hearing is the the purpose of the position. Um, is not necessarily tied to the meaning of the position. However, when those two are aligned, that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into more of this as we get into yeah. the specifics because purpose is one fraction of the trivial pursuit pie piece, right? Like, <laughs> um, purpose, does it support you? Do you need it to support you? Yeah. Um, does it meet your values? Do you have fun doing it? Right, yeah. like there's so many different... Does it challenge you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, does it give you joy? All these things are important aspects of that um, that that maybe are you know work well or, or in. As I'm trying not to lose the thread, you know, are there jobs out there that you like? You don't love it, but it allows you the flexibility to do things that you do love. Mm. Can you marry the two? Yeah, or either side of those coins fine if it's meeting your specific needs yeah and i think there's a lot of complexity there that we'll we'll touch on so like let's start from the beginning of this chapter right so one of the things that Brene does is she um offers us several different um connected language items of connected language that comes up when we talk about meaningful work and some people will refer to it in her research as feeling a calling towards something which inherently has like a a um, spiritual quality feel to it. Drawn to right? it. Yeah, I feel drawn to it. There's, it's. I feel meaningful. like you hear that with teaching a lot. Yeah, I felt drawn to teaching. Or a lot of people say I felt called to do it. Right, something was calling me towards that. Mm -hmm. um, purpose again is is there. So gifts and talents is a connected word. Spirituality is a connected word. Making a living. Right, we have to make a living. Um, commitment, and then the other two are supposed to and self doubt, and. One of the things you kind of I'm interested in kind of parsing out in terms of w the times where you felt meaning in your work and the times where you didn't. I'm, I'm curious about this because when you were 16 mm -hmm. as a lifeguard, yeah, your skill set, your gifts and the things that you felt confident doing, I imagine like the strengths that you had lent themselves towards being a lifeguard. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so as you garnered more skills and developed experience, do you think that's at all tied to where that meaning then pulled you towards, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I think not knowing this and not being able to put words on it uh, early on in my life, I, there's always been something about creating safe, welcoming spaces that, mm -hmm. that I've been drawn to. And I wonder if that's why lifeguarding was something that spoke to me when I first started doing it, I liked creating 
a safe and place where people felt like they could enjoy themselves. And um, I worked at a water park. It was very fun. It was a fun environment. Um, I got to work with really cool people that I enjoyed working with. It paid well for me as a 16 to 18 year old. Yeah. That was didn't have rent or anything like that. So in my head, that was the paycheck was awesome and it allowed me to, to purchase things. And um, I was in a place of privilege at that time. So that was helpful. As I continued to grow my skills and realized that creating a welcoming space was something that I felt that I was good at found that there was a way that I could do that for more people mm. in a more impactful way than lifeguarding allowed me to do. Interesting. Um, and I didn't learn that for a couple years, but that's where I started to find a purpose of I can do something else that also does this, this thing of creating a welcoming space, but I can do it where it's a little bit more long lasting or impactful or people that, those events or interactions stay with people yeah. a little bit longer. So to put it in other words, perhaps it served a greater purpose. Um, the greater good. The gr- In a way, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting because the analogy that I'm thinking of is if you have a flashlight and you shine it into an empty room, it the, the light is diffused over the course of the entire room. But if you put it face down so the light is facing directly on the table in front of you, that light is very focused and very bright on that one spot. But as soon as you lift it up, that light starts to diffuse out, and it's like still focused on that spot, but it starts to get reach elsewhere. And the higher you lift it, the, the more light shines elsewhere, but it also is not quite as strong as it gets further and further away. Mm-hmm. So as you kind of hear that, what, what's the, what's the balance where, and, and I don't know, I don't know that you'll have an answer either, but like, what's the balance of like, how, is it that we need to like get brighter so that we can serve <laughs> or is it that our light is like there it's static is it like I'm, I'm i'm just curious about that it's funny as you use that analogy because i think there's so many different other analogies that pop up with that sure and every um, analogy is broken in some way but sure but i what i think of is you start out with this flashlight and then you realize that if you by changing things that you do or by learning more you can make the wattage of the bulb brighter mm-hmm. and so that allows you to service more people yep or that you can have a more focused lens that makes it brighter in a very even when you lift it off the table it can still stay very bright and focused but reach other places Mm -hmm. or you can have a wider lens that allows it to kind of shine out further Uh, you might have rechargeable batteries that you have to like all these different things have to take out and like you might have to take them away from the flashlight so that you can recharge them and then they go back into that flashlight or they go back into a completely different lighting device somewhere else right there's so all these analogies can work, and I think, it again, it just has to go back to when you say what is meaningful, each person really gets to define that for themselves, but I think it always has to be in service of, yeah, your skill sets are probably a big part of that. I think you're going to find mm-hmm. a job meaningful if you think that you're at least somewhat good at it or can be good at it Yeah. versus never being successful. I think that... Um, again matching to your cornerstone values are gonna so i think that that's gonna you just have to ask yourself those questions because there's so many different things that can happen with light yeah yeah well i love what you what you said because it really aligns with what Brene was talking about with this this idea that like 
culture doesn't dictate what's meaningful, right? It can really tell, like, it can want you and pull, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should blah, 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 whatever makes you the most money is what you should do. Yet, people always tend to have this unique sense of, this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what I'm feeling called towards, or something along those lines. And I and like let me be careful there because I don't want to imply that if you aren't feeling <laughs> that that you're wrong in the wrong or yeah, yeah right cuz it takes a lot of be, right? it takes a lot of self-discovery. And that's what it is. You really have to under I you know, does the average person and this is not a oh a pinky out I'm nose up. Oh well, I'm so I'm so but cultured. There's so much to gain from just the activity or what are my two values that dictate my decision-making in life. That process, that practice alone of literally saying, these are the two values that are the most important to me. Mm. And every decision that I make needs to service those. Is can be a really big determinant of what is actually meaningful to you. Yeah. Um, and also it allows you to go, do, when I do this, am I living into that? If, yeah. When I make this, this decision, am I living into those two values? And if I'm not, then reevaluate. Yeah. But as we're talking about, that's one piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. So, again, going back to this kind of initial thing that she was talking about of these these six connected words, gifts and talents, spirituality, making a living, etc. Uh, she talks about gifts and talents for a little bit in the book. And... Essentially, what she does is she aligns it in the same way that she talks about creativity that she does in previous chapters, essentially saying that when we cultivate them and share them with the world, we feel a sense of meaning and purpose. And conversely, when we squander our gifts or when we don't lean into our talents, it brings distress into our lives that manifests in our bodies and in our emotional system, right? So it leads to empty, feeling emptiness, frustration, resentment, shame, etc. all the things. All the things. And what she writes is sharing our gifts and talents with the world is the most powerful source of the connection with God. Which is really interesting for like something someone like Brené who is like very like anti the quote woo-woo factor in her work. Um, but I think that that's something that's worth talking about considering that she's mentioned. Pretty sure that's a lame is quote, but woo woo. No, the face of God. No, it, the face of God is when you look into the face of someone you love. Yeah. So, I'm, uh, it was, uh, okay. Great. Good talk. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the lyrics to lame is I'm not a wedding singer over here. I'm not either, but I know the lyrics. All right. Well, you could be a wedding singer. Mm, I, mm, I, mm. I would be a very niche market. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know that that's what I feel called towards, so Fair. to speak. I'm sure your rendition of Ave Maria is breathtaking. I, no comment. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think that that's something that's worth noting. So kind of in your experience, uh, leaning into this idea of gifts and talents, yeah. Um, can you think of a time specifically where you felt work was so, like what you were doing was so right and this is where I'm meant to be kind of a feeling? And to take it a step further, in that moment, were you leaning into your gifts and talents? 
Yeah, so the first moment that comes to my mind, maybe not the first, one of the first, when I go back to my youngest, uh, it, it, go, it does go back to me lifeguarding. And I remember that I loved working rides at the water park that I worked at, especially rides that had a little bit longer of a wait time because it allowed me to speak and spiel and crack jokes. And I had and this heckle. like... Not really heckle, but like, you know, there were jokes that we could do with the rafts or be like, oh, no, you're going down backwards. Uh, moments that were that were connection pieces with me and, and the line that was waiting to go on these rides. Those, the most specific one that took the longest was uh, this this little ride that it was a toilet bowl ride, but there, it was one raft at a time. And it took so because the it's limited inside this bowl. You have to wait for that person to circle the entire thing and drop out before the next person can hop in. So naturally the line took a very long time for that ride, which allowed me to figure out that if I had this like 30 minute spiel that I could tweak jokes in or say that that got me through about a section of the wait time. And then as those people left a brand new people like group of people came up to me. But I, it allowed me to connect with others. It allowed me to still create a safe environment. It allowed me to perform, which I typically enjoy doing. Mm. Um, it allowed me to uh, get to know people and make them feel happy and safe and not upset about being in a 45-minute wait line. Um, and I, I, so those things were – and that was a simple, a simple aspect because even at that point, I was still discovering what my strengths were. But public yeah. speaking and um, creating a welcoming environment were there. As I get older and I start to dive into what my real strengths are, connecting with others, I realize that collecting resources is something that I'm actually pretty good at. And um, collecting stories and experiences and sharing those with others is something I'm good at. And so I realized that teaching on a adult level in professional settings is something that I, that I really enjoyed. And I got to do that as I, you know... And working with a youth team that's running several different youth programs, I had a lot of full-time staff uh, that was working with, and I got to be mentors to them and run group meetings and one-on-one -on -one individual coaching sessions that were also professional development coaching sessions. And there I was getting to use those resources and still getting to connect with people and still being able to dissect feelings and, and understandings and um, things that I'm also good at while also making it a very relaxed space for, for everyone involved so that people realize that they could give and receive feedback. Uh, well, I, I hope I did right. That was the hope. And that was something that I really love doing. And so yeah. that was a moment for me that I feel purpose. I feel this is meaningful. These people are getting to go out and positively affect, uh, impact more people than I could do personally. And so that was how I kind of saw my impact growing um, and felt really good about the work that I was doing. Yeah. And so, but that connected with things that I also feel like I'm good at. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's worth lifting up because I, I know that for me, anytime I have been in a place where I'm like, what, what is the best thing for me? And what is, what do I need to do with the rest of my life? How do I spend my time? Because another way to phrase that is how do I spend my life? Right. Yeah. Because time is life. It's finite. Right. Um, and I, I think that whenever I think about that, I'm really focused on 
what brings me joy? Mm-hmm. What gives me energy? Where, where do I, from where do I derive energy rather than spend it? And I, I really want to focus on cultivating spaces where I like, this gives me energy and brings me life. Um, so I, I just, I'm, I think most of the time that is in alignment with our, our gifts and our, our talents, if we are willing to claim them as gifts, which is the hard part. Yeah. Right? And so before we get really into the, the things that get in the way of this, there's one more thing I want to kind of talk about. And you've kind of lift, mif- mentioned this already, but one of the things that comes up with this idea that is, again, one of these words is commitment, right? It takes a lot of commitment to, to do the things that we love. And part of that is often meaningful work doesn't necessarily pay the bills. The things that bring us meaning aren't necessarily what we went to school for, right? And a lot of us who are potentially in midlife or who are like, oh no, I'm in my 30s, I'm a millennial, or wherever you are in life, really, if you're in a job, sometimes you're doing that because you have to be there in order to support the family that you want to support, in order to pay your bills, in order to make rent, right? And it, it sometimes, like seldom, but sometimes it aligns where everything works out for, for that person where they're doing something meaningful, they're living their life, they're like earning a living wage. But that's not always true for everybody. Right, yeah. And so how have you balanced this in your life when sometimes you don't necessarily love the work that you're doing? And it's not feeding you the way you're you're hoping it will feed you. From where do you get where do you get that meaning from when you're in that mode? Does that make sense? Have you experienced this? Yeah, I, and I think it's it's happened to me a couple times in my career. Uh, one time it was uh, the catalyst was not being able to afford to live right. Mm. Um, I was in an entry-level position uh, for the organization that I currently work for, but I also had student loans, and um, the cost of living was going up in the area that I lived in, and it got to a point where I said, I just can't afford to do this job anymore, and I almost left, and the only reason I didn't leave the organization was because I ended up getting a promotion that I applied for had I not gotten that had I not I don't know if I'd still be working in the organization I'm currently working for I don't think I could have yeah so I think that was a part of it and that came with conversations with mentors conversations with people that I trust but even then I was I really loved what I was doing Mm. I just couldn't afford to do it anymore yeah and that almost drastically shifted my life I got very lucky that an opportunity kind of showed itself in that exact moment, which yeah. was um, helpful. Uh, for me, there are still times where it says, I don't know if this is exactly what I want, or the trajectory that is typical for a person in my role is not what I want. And so there's a little bit of that, mm. too, of saying, I know what the next what the next step should be, Yeah, but I don't want to do that. That doesn't speak to me as as much as the role I'm currently doing. And so speaks to me a lot. I know that feeling. Well, and then, you know, to be, yeah. So it's because at a certain point in my role, it becomes a, 
you're not just leading these youth programs. You're not just leading these youth staff. You have to start doing wellness and, and fitness and membership and things that arrive with, with the nonprofit that I currently work for. And those are, again, that is a job with a purpose. It's not my purpose. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that's where you start to say, all right, is what what's the next step? Is it a horizontal move to a different department? Is it a different organization altogether? Is it how long do I keep doing my current role and how long will that fill my cup? You speak with mentors, loved ones, my your one-inch sheet of paper if you're going off of Brene Brown. Yeah. Um, the people that you trust that are going to give you candid and, and, and compassionate feedback and and you work through those things. So I think any organization, you're going to have moments where you sit there and say, I don't love this aspect of what I do. Mm-hmm. Can I change it? So can I ask you a specific question? Sure. I, I really want to kind of lean into what it was you were feeling at that moment. Sure. So what, what were the, the emotions that you were experiencing as you were grappling with this decision to leave something that you feel a lot of meaning doing, mm-hmm. but you, it's not tenable. So there's fear and stress that come with that, right? Mm. Um, a fear of if I can't afford to live or pay rent or buy food or what does that do to my physical health? What does that do to my mental health? What does that yeah. do to if I can't afford to, to do outings that build relationships that fill my cup? Like, I don't think people understand that there's <laughs> a living wage is such a bare minimum thing because it is not a luxury what is deemed luxury wages do not fall into that right so um but we realize that some of those things that are necessary in life to be happy cost money sometimes and that's not like i'm not talking (laughs) yeah i'm not talking sea do right i'm talking about going out and getting coffee with a friend yeah um i'm talking about going and seeing a movie in a theater Going out to eat period yeah right so all the, so some of these things that are deemed as luxuries are, are ways that we actually build connection with with relationships and friends and yes there are ways to do some of that where you could say like well you can cook we're like well then that's not as life-giving to me in the in this moment sometimes i don't want to cook i want to focus on my time with my relationship so uh so i was scared and and felt that anxiety um i think you feel tired I think tired, mm. like when you feel like a job's not giving back to you, yeah, um, you feel exhausted. You feel tired. Um, we always uh, an analogy that we use a lot is, you know, a job that you even the job that you love doing, you're consistently pouring into others. Hopefully, yeah. um, if, if that's your your calling, so to speak, yeah. Um, but you have to have a full picture to be able to do that. Yeah, or you have to have a picture with something in it. Um, and that requires you to put time and energy into into filling your pitcher. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the that's the dark side of working in something that is your passion or your mission is you start to ignore your capacity to do well, it it's, well. It's it's also easier to be exploited. Yes. Yeah. Right. Very when much you're so. doing something that you love, it's very easy to say, "Oh no, I'll 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 do that a little. I'll stay one more." another hour oh and that's just like because well, i like because I, I think it's meaningful right right i think that was one and i don't know if we're there in the conversation yet one of the toughest things to do is the i should do this because it's what's best for the the kids in my program or yeah. for the parents or for the families or for the community i'm sure teachers feel this all the time like i shouldn't have to buy 
my own class supplies with my own money. As a teacher, right? But I, but I should because the families need but it. But they need it. And the reality is sometimes your capacity is you can't buy those things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to cause you an inability to actually do your job well, well if you're putting additional strains and, on out, on outward forms, right? And so not, not only that, though, it, in a way, it enables the system that puts you in there in the first it place. It does. I think there's two minds of thought. There, I remember working with a coworker who I really enjoyed um, working with, and their mentality a lot of the time was, if I don't do it, then it's going to fall apart because no one else is there to do it. I don't have the support yeah. to do it. I, I think at a very young professional age decided that my self-worth and value does not come from 50 hours a week from your achievements at work right um and i've also realized that if i do end up working 50 55 hour weeks consistently that my work quality severely diminishes sure um to a point to where like i don't know if i have productive like 10 hours of productivity and if i'm consistently working 55 hours a week versus if i'm working 40 i'm putting 30 to 35 hours of real productivity right like or versus 30 where you're giving full 30 correct right, or, right, or, right. so know? all of this makes sense um so for me i said if i have to let this plate fall so that other people recognize and hear the crash and that's gonna allow for a new support system to come and hold that plate up yes then I'm going to let the plate fall. Yes. Um, and that is a really hard thing to do when it is your passion, mm. when you feel a purpose towards a community or a space. It yes. is so hard to sit there and say, someone needs to hear this plate crash because I can't spin it forever. And if that's the only thing that's going to get someone's attention to create a support system so I don't have to carry that plate anymore and can carry my other plates yeah. to the best of my ability, then that's what needs to happen. Versus, nope, I'm going to catch every plate. I might... I, I might be killing myself doing yeah. it, but I'm going to catch every plate because who else is going to catch them? Well, and, and it's one of those things where this is where like this cultivating meaningful work and attaching our self-worth to that work lends itself to this perfectionism where all of a sudden now I have to not only do what I love, but I have to do it perfectly. And if I don't do it perfectly, then I'm going to be seen as less than. And so we've talked about perfectionism already, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where what we're recognizing now in today's conversation is we're going to, like, yes, cultivating meaningful work and taking it to the point where attaching your self-worth to it is not good. And recognizing that a lot of people haven't even figured out how to cultivate what meaningful work is. Exactly. Right. And so I want to lean into and Avatar. They're still now. killing themselves because they're Ex- because they're, they're doing something that, yeah. and they don't feel meaning behind. Yeah. Them. So there's again the extremes, right? Um, I don't even know if that's that extreme. Fair. I think that's a very real story for many people. Yeah. Um, but what I want to do is I want to like let's let's take what we've talked about so far and reach into the Avatar verse. And figure out who are the people that are doing this really well, mm-hmm. and who are the people that are struggling. Yeah, and at any point in the in the evolution of these characters as well, because we have the the pleasure of seeing the full life of some of these characters, so to speak, and with some 
gaps, but yeah. There's some gaps. There's some gaps. But at the same time, we see a, a pretty large span. Yeah. And I'm curious, what comes to mind for you of someone who who does meaningful work really well in the Avatarverse? Anytime a question like this pops up, I feel like Iroh is the... Natural answer. Natural answer. <laughs> He's not perfect. He's not. But... He does this type of stuff well. Well, I, well and you, also, in the quote at the beginning also affects this, but he he loves making tea. He, he finds does. joy in it. He finds joy in what a cup of tea can mean for connection. Because mm-hmm. um, even when you trace that back to like his moment with Toph and um, his and, moment with Korra, yeah, and all these um, times where he's just getting to make tea and create moments of connection for people and. And so he he loves it, and it turns into his own tea shop, and he cares about it. And yeah. then after all of the events that take place, we like they're still he. That's what he chooses he to do in his retirement, to, like, right? Make tea and goes and makes the boba tea. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He does invent boba tea in the Avatar universe. Um, so I, I yeah, so I think he's one that comes to mind as someone who finds purpose, finds meaning. Um. But also, I'm, I'm guessing finds time to rest and and relax through that, and um, so he is one that I view as finding meaningful work. Um, I'm glad you lifted this up because I was scrolling on looking at uh, looking for quotes about the Jasmine Dragon to see if there was a especially good quote, and I, there probably was a better one than the one I found. But as I was scrolling the Avatar wiki about the Jasmine Dragon, I found a menu for the Jasmine dragon for the different teas. Can I tell you the names? Please of these do. Teas? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, metal brew is the first one. Yeah, sure. It's black in color, you know, strong in flavor, like an earthbender describes Toph in the description. Uh, Bossing Quan named for the patron of this wonderful tea house, the white Lotus tile, which is a very delicate tea. It this can- is in Canon. I, I don't know. I can't remember if it's in the comics I, or not. I, I don't. I don't. Think That's I where read my these guess is. Comics, it's like it's. But, it's guess like. All right. But they're here, and I'm excited about it. And then Bender tea, uh, an oolong tea blended for those who cultivate a much more balanced approach to life. Name for the two young benders, Ang and Katara. The Appa blend, something new and exclusive to the Jasmine Dragon. It's a concoction of flavors that at first may not sound or smell very good, but it blends milk tea and tapioca balls, much like its Sky Bison namesake. Um, so it's full of surprises and, you know, favor the brave. And lastly, the red-blooded nephew. Apparently this is not very good because it's a lot like the two, the tea that Zuko made Iroh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but Seems like a weird business decision to sell it, but, you know. You know, I'm okay with it. But anyway, that's a little bit of an aside, but I thought that was interesting because I had never known that there were things like that. Yeah. So that's, yeah, so he's one, um, Suki, and I specifically think about, well, I think she found a lot of purpose in her work as a Kiyoshi warrior, whether or not that's work or just a community thing like that. But even to the point where Suki goes and helps people in the Earth Kingdom navigate refugees and, and helps people cross the Serpent's Pass... Yeah. Um, I, I think she found meaning in that and found purpose in that and joy. And so I think uh, she comes to mind. Um, I, Aang's interesting when you think about Aang's relationship with work. And, mm-hmm. and I think 
honestly probably represents more folks based off of his journey and his struggle with it right um whether or not he felt like he was enough to be the avatar yeah but like also cultivating his like gifts of yes, being able to correct. deal I mean, the and entire bend show, multiple right? elephant el- elephants huh elements <laughs> don't bend elephants elephant koi he wrote yeah rode them I, so but he's one that there's a lot of I should do that like I yeah. should I have and to talk about Cora also yeah I, I have similar to do issues this. I should do this I um I don't feel good at this I'm not good at airbending for Cora yeah and, and so the avatars that's also an incredibly difficult job and so yeah how do you motivate yourself to the point of you know there's extra work that goes into it but you still have to take time for rest and play mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and so I, there's so much that that there's a lot to dissect just with Aang when it comes to relationship with yeah. Aang and Korra, uh, when it comes to the relationship with, with w- meaningful work yeah. and should and shame. And, mm-hmm. you know, I also think of Ty Lee who, you know, was, went to the circus because that was something that freed her from her family system that she didn't feel comfortable with. And then she really enjoyed being with the circus. And then Azula comes along and, that didn't work out so long. And then she's like, nah. And then she leaves that and joins the Kyoshi warriors. And in the same way, we've talked about this before. She was like, she left her, all of her six identical sisters to instead be a part of the identical Kyoshi warriors. But in what happens was she was able to use her gifts to protect the, like she was protecting the fire nation. When we talked about this, I think with cricket back in the, either the third season or, or second season around, Tylee's autonomy that comes with choosing to be a part of a group and being able to step away from that group when you need to every now and then or or still feeling your independence. And and so there's a lot that goes into that Um, because there's, there is work that we find that's meaningful and you have to step away. Yes. You have to step away sometimes to, um, to recenter, to refocus that sometimes you just have to shut off your computer, not check your emails. In extreme cases, sometimes you have to leave an organization, and you might go back to that organization. Yeah, ten years later, five years later, three years later, like. But sometimes you need to leave, right? Yeah. Sometimes that's just a thing. So, again, if you need to let the plate crash in order so that people can hear it, then Do so it. be it. Because that it kind of goes back to this idea of how we function in response to uh, a stressor. So we've talked about this before, but people who underfunction typically are the ones who underperform and they will shy away and uh, they don't show up. They're unable to do it. And then the overfunctioners are the ones who are like, I'm going to do everything. And then you can't do anything because I have to do it all in order to maintain control. Mm-hmm. Right. And in a way like, this that's what this is it's it's a response right and so when something happens in our meaningful work if we over function what happens is when we over function is we enable the system to continue well yes yeah and right? not maybe the system I, that makes me think of nightmares and dreamscapes or daydreams, ang- daydreams nightmare daydreams dreamscapes same thing nightmare on elm street no dream warriors it may be it may be october but this is not the same world spooky season i love it i still want a karuk horror th- series we should tweet at bending the elements about that yeah, i'm just you know the time is meow um but that's a perfect example the overachieving right the yeah. i the stress the anxiety leads to i have to continue 
because if I don't do it, then it's, I'm not going to be good enough or it's not going to work out well and I have to keep going and going and going. Um, even when people are shouting at you to like rest, rest. Um, and I've even realized that in, in, in professional settings, even when people that love and support you in your work are telling you to rest, if the support isn't there to make, to like remove, like remove your hand from the stove and that, and you're going to keep have people telling you to do it is not going to change yeah. it, right? Like you have to, people are going to react in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Yep. Um, so yeah, Hang, it's hard. Hangs have got a lot going on. Well, and so what you're pointing to now is like where we're heading, right? And what we're heading towards is we've talked about this, this idea of Always meaningful been good work. At a segue. Yeah. We're talking about meaningful work and what it is. And now that we've kind of like, at least talked about it for a little while and identified some characters who do it well. I now want to kind of venture into the things that get in the way of cultivating meaningful work, right? We've, we've even talked about what happens when meaningful work goes too far, right? When we begin to then overfunction and make it so that we are doing it at the expense of our own self. And so now let's venture to the other side of it where we, we have no idea how to even begin cultivating meaningful work because we're so inundated with what Brene labels as two things. One, this idea of self-doubt and doubting our gifts, yeah. doubting our talents. And then the other thing is this, in, in quotes, supposed to. Right. I'm supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do that. And so... I think that's really important because some of the some of the lines, the shame lines that Brene throws at us is like, well, maybe everybody has gifts, but you like that's why you haven't found them. Right. Or, you know, you do that well, but it isn't really a gift because it's it's not that big. It's not that important. It's not important enough. Right. It's not extraordinary enough. So this idea of self-doubt undermines this whole process of finding our gifts and our sharing those gifts. And in a way, it's letting our fear kind of undermine our our instinctual development, our intuition, our faith, which we've talked about on a prior episode. Mm-hmm. So for you, as you've kind of grappled with this meaningful work and cultivating it and leaning into that, yeah. what have, what's been the tape for you that has played that is a self-doubt? Like what are you doubting about your abilities to lean into your meaningful work? Oh, some of my shame gremlins that kind of start rearing their head, especially if I feel like I'm being pulled in in so many places, is um, that I'm not supporting people enough, that Mm. I'm not present enough, Mm. that someone who is better at my job would be able to be present more um, and and, and be able to be the the support system all the time, 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, So, you know, for me, I... There are times where you go, I don't feel like I'm doing any of these things well. I feel like I'm doing all of them at 50%, and so I'm letting down 100% of the people. Yeah. So I think that's a that's probably the the biggest one that plays for me that I have to keep in check. Um, and sometimes that's just as easy as being like, dude, that wasn't on your job description. Like all of these things that were added, and yeah. I you can't do them all. So voice that or tell people or lift that up. Because I think yeah. that's the other one is if I let people see me like this or if I let people know that I'm struggling with these things, then mm. I'm not good enough to do this job. Yeah. I think that's a big one that, that a lot of people rumble with. Well, it's interesting because we like talk ourselves out of the things that we love. 
right? Yeah. This is what I love doing. And because of my situation, I don't have time to do it because of all the things and all the compounding factors. We're like, even though this is what I want to do, I'm not good enough to do it. Yeah. Right. Because there are other people who are better than us. Right. And again, this idea that comparison is this, this thief of joy takes all the joy. Right. And again, some of the, the things that Brene lifts up is like the idea of um, these, these tapes, like, you're supposed to make money, not meaning, right? Or grow up. Everyone's counting on you. I feel like it's always rich people that tell you, tell you like... It comes from a place of privilege often, yes. these things do, <laughs> right? Um, you got to be doing this for money. I'm like, you're not happy, Barbara. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Or, you You know, complain about your home life all the time. You don't... No. Yeah. You know that you've ever heard this? Like it's a first draft that I should rewrite in my head, but that's still work, like... work sucks. That's just how work is. Yeah, I hate it. Right? I hate it. It's like no, no, it does not have to be that way. And it's just like there's a lot of these narratives. I remember one of my favorite people who I care about a lot was like, you know, that's just life. Is that people don't love every part of their job? Yeah. Yep. And I'm sitting here going like, that's not, well, it I doesn't don't, have to be that way. And I don't want it to be that way. And, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that we come from generations that precede us that when they were prompted with these questions, they were told these lines and they swallowed them and they leaned into it. And I think as the generations change, we are more resistant to these somewhat antiquated shame tapes. Um, is that your experience too, or is that just me like theorizing? What are your thoughts there? I think there's a little bit of pushback because you like right now there's a weird demographic. And I think it's people who are a little bit older than us, younger than us that are realizing like, it, I want, and I wonder this is anecdotal and it's totally like yeah. a theory in my head. I wonder if at a certain point the idea around, well, you're not gonna be happy in this job, but it makes you money to live. So like you're cool. Well, now these jobs that are making us unhappy aren't and also are also not enough money to live anymore. Yeah. And so there's this weird dynamic of if I'm if I'm going to be broke, <laughs> I might as well be broke and happy with what I'm doing as opposed to broke and hate my life. Yeah. And so I wonder if there's a little bit of that that pushes into it. Um, I wonder if there's a there's a growing sense that my my monetary gain or a job that I do that might be beneficial to me if that's at the expense of other people that I'm working with that I'm supposed to be supporting, mm -hmm. then I don't want to do that job either. Um, and people are like, well, you kind of have to. You're like, no, we're like, no, we don't. And, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that yeah. right now. We're seeing strikes all for, from John Deere to yep. Kellogg to the TV and film industry that is still in conversations about whether or not they're going to go on strike, which I, I think at this point they've, they've come to a deal. But like we're seeing people – on a, on a massive back, level right? pushback, especially after a year like this, where it's, we've been mistreated for two years. You let us go. We're not going to go back into the workforce for what, for what the same thing that we were doing. Um, yeah. And we're not going to take that, that yeah. level of exploitation anymore. And so, so I think there is a little bit of that. And I don't want to be unhappy. I don't think a life where I'm unhappy at work, which typically affects your happiness at home. Correct. 
is is worth it and so i'm going to do everything within my power within my circle of influence to create a a more productive happy role that i'm doing so to 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 go the other direction though we also have these these people that will say like well just don't worry about the money just quit your job honey and follow your bliss I have to eat, Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> so again, like there, are, there are things that can happen on both sides, so to speak, of the ex- again f- coming from extremes. Right? You can say, "Oh, well, you know, work just sucks. You just have to do it." And then the other side of it is, "Well, just quit. You can do whatever you want." Again, coming from a place of privilege, right? You, not everyone can quit their job. Well, not everyone makes it doing exactly what they want to do and love doing. Yes. Right. How many people try to be pro athletes, Hollywood stars, yep, and don't make a living off of that, yeah. and they still do it, and they're happy, and that's cool. Do the, if that's do what makes you happy. Do, that, I love if it. That if you can do what you need to do to live up and be the best version of yourself, and or at least close to, then you know. Well, and I think the problem with that is we're often, again, as we so often are provided this false binary, right? Where we have to choose between the work we love and supporting the people we love, including ourselves, right? And the and the problem is that's not an accurate binary, right? It's 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 we have way more options than than those two things. We can absolutely work a job that pays our bills and use our other time to do things that fills our bucket, right? Depending if all your time isn't paying your bills. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But yes. And it's not always... The false binary is ever-present in almost everything that we do. Yeah. Um, because it's a way to bring people to this, well, if you don't do this, then this happens. And you're like, not necessarily. And that's not on me. Yeah. Right? Um, I can't fix every system. I can... F- try to fix a lot but you know for me it's if you call out or if you take that those two weeks for medical leave that you need then these things are gonna tank because we don't have anyone else to do it for you yeah well that's not on me right like that's my best way to do my best work to best support the things that i need to support in life is to take care of this medical procedure that is keeping me from doing those things yeah um and so, and I, I think the other side with everything that we talk about in, in almost every organization, I don't know if this is a little off topic. I'm a firm believer currently that people care about you genuinely. I think there are so many people that you likely work with that genuinely care about you and your success and, and, and you getting to live a, a happy and healthy life. There are institutions that only care about the institution making a profit. And so there are people part of that institution that likely care about you, but if you left tomorrow, institution, the institution doesn't blink is, an eye. Nope, you're there they will replace you, right? Yep. That doesn't mean that people don't care about you inside of that institution or that your boss doesn't support you or because I'm sure there are incredible bosses out there, right? Yes. I have some that are amazing. But the institution is going to replace you in a second. And yep. so sometimes I think that's a part of the decision making factor and what's meaningful and yeah. And, if if I feel like I should do this because it's what I've been doing for 10 years. Yeah. Or I should do this because it's the next step. Or I should do this because my, my organization needs me to do it. It's probably not true, right? Yeah. That's probably a story. Well, and so this kind of leads us to how do we combat this, this narrative of supposed to? How do we combat this narrative of self-doubt? Just don't, right? Right. Like, just, just don't do it. Just 
<laughs> just don't combat it. Don't, don't. No, I mean, just oh. don't do the don't do the thing. <laughs> I know, it's like just just don't combat. You're just gonna live with it. Just it's like <laughs> stop doing it. Um, I'm joking, but I'm also kind of not right. So I think there's okay. a little bit of. I think I have found in the work that I do specifically to me, this is something that, that rings true. There are things that happen inside of the work that I do that I either like or don't like, but I can change them, right? That's, I don't like this and I don't like this process, but I have direct impact on changing that. Yeah. I have something I don't like, can't change, but can live with. Yep. And I have things that I don't like in our deal breakers. Yep. And I think for me, there are certain things that I am not my best self. I don't get to love. I don't love the work I do when I'm consistently working over 40 hours a week. I just don't. It's not something I'm not. I'm not the best version of myself at home when I have those weeks. I'm not the best version of what I can do and be productive at work. It's not my best self. I am currently lucky enough to have a supervisor that recognizes that. And so when I say like, no, I can't accomplish that because I don't have the time to do it. We find time elsewhere. Like we find a way. If I had a supervisor that said too bad, no, you need to stick around and do it for the next 10 hours. I don't think I'd be in this job. I think I would have quit by now. Yeah. Um, And so I think that that's, it depends on how lucky you are. I also have the ability where I've saved up enough where I could quit for three months and take that time to find a new job. And I would be roughing it for a little bit, but like I would have food and shelter. Yeah. Um, and that's a privilege. I've been able to yeah. do that. And so there are certain things that sometimes you can't quit things that you yeah. hate. Right. So I understand that that's part of privilege as well. So I think that all of that being said, there are ways to combat it. And sometimes it's just with not, with inaction, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is saying I'm making the conscious well, decision to not sacrifice my own personal well-being for this. Yeah, and again, this came up in a prior episode, but it reminds me of the serenity prayer where, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Right? It's very similar to what you just said of, like, like let me know this is what I can change, this is what I can't. This is me discerning those two things and being okay with the ones that I can't change. Um, that's just an important skill to develop that discernment, right? Yeah. So Brene says that in order to combat this, we have to ask ourselves the big questions, kind of like Iroh confront Zuko. And like, it's time to ask ourselves the big questions, right? Who do you want to be? Yeah. What makes us afraid, right? What's on our, quote, supposed to list, and why is it there? Supposed to not be afraid of Ursula, and yet. And well, and also, who says that it should be there, and who, like, what, or not, right? Um, so, one of her suggestions is to actually write that down. Like, write down the answers to the big questions of what causes the supposed to, what causes the self-doubt, what do you doubt? Ask those questions, write them down, and journal about it, and... Like a lot of people will be like, no, I don't want to manifest that. But what happens is when we externalize it, you name it, you tame it. You can, na- if you can name it, you can tame it. That's exactly right. Because a lot of times it just lives in our psyche without us ever really putting our finger We're on not it. Not processing it. We're just letting it exactly. spiral in our head. So her suggestion is to to tame it by by naming it and writing it down. Um, I'm which terrified is of Ursula. I write it down every day. Do you... She's so scary. 
She is terrifying. I send you TikToks about her all the time. Oh, I, I, I don't. When it was a trend for makeup artists to do their Ursula thing. Yep. Don't send those to BNB underscore pod. Ooh. Don't do that. Yeah, but don't do it. I love scary things, with the exception of Ursula. When she yeah. gets shish kebobbed by a boat and the skeleton and the lightning and the she steals people's souls and it's rough. Her sister Morgana, not as scary, but like still kind of scary, but wow. So the I, tentacles. Yeah. To to pivot just a little bit. Fun uh, trivia fact. How many tentacles does Ursula have? Back to the end of the show. Does how many tentacles does Ursula have? Eight. Wrong. Six. She's got six because her arms are the other, the other two. two. How about that? Look at that. I think that's probably also like an animation thing where people are like, it's much easier to draw six than eight. Yeah. Like, but. So. Go back to the. Uh, yeah. Pivoting. You, have, you have permission. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. So again, going back to this idea like of uh, what, what Brene talks about is this idea of slash careers where you can be a something slash something else. Oh, so not like. Not like Michael Myers. Mm. Okay, that's funny. No. Um, instead, it's a idea where I'm like a, I'm a student slash podcaster right now. Yeah. Or I am a podcaster slash piano teacher, right? Right. And so for you, you have uh, your job, and you actually are living in a career right now, whereas my primary modality in terms of like what I do with my life is a student. Right, that's what I'm spending the most time investing in, and what you are spending theoretically the most time invested in is this career with this nonprofit that you're in. And so, what's your slash career? What what is the thing that you do on the side that is the other meaningful portions of what you do? Oh, that's so tough. Tell me more. I don't like I well and so like it's it's interesting cuz it depends on what you just say defines meaning right mm-hmm. so um I love watching movies I love the stories that I learn from those I love the yeah. experiences that I get to experience that aren't necessarily mine um I so I love watching movies and storytelling and and television shows so I enjoy that a lot I like climbing that's something I've gotten into more recently um challenging myself figuring out problems on walls and, and, and climbing all of the, uh, and, and more I do podcasting. Right. So that's fun. Yeah. We do that. Um, I'm currently doing the star Wars canon challenge, which is stupidly long. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of these things are things that I view as they give me life. Like they like specifically don't have a purpose outside of filling my cup. So, but I view that as necessary I so that I can do the rest of my job. I think that's so important to name. Yeah. Right? Because what we are doing with our time does not necessarily mean what we are doing to earn money. Correct. Oh, right? For sure. It, or what we're... Turns out rock climbing, stupid expensive when you do it at like a gym. <laughs> they pay You pay a lot of money to climb a, a rock wall that's inside. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, you know... Just because our gifts and our talents don't earn us money doesn't mean it's not meaningful work. And I think that's really important to name. This is a terrible time to plug Patreon. By the way, <laughs> so BNB underscore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but, but right, like correct, right? Um, and I think for me, if you ask me if I'm if I'm being very intentional about it, I I love leaving people better than I found it. I hope my hope is that yeah. that every space and person that I come into contact with yeah. is a little bit better for me being there. That's my hope. Like if I if you if if you're asking like what my purpose is, it's that. Hopefully it's yeah. that. Um I hopefully I do that when I'm rock climbing and engaging with people, right? Well, hopefully I'm doing that when I'm you know, you absolutely do that every time you watch a new movie and every time you watch a new television show and read a new book because what your story gathering, correct, which is giving you more and more tools to connect with to other connect people with other future. people, yep. right? Absolutely. And if you view it that way, then all of a sudden it's like, wow, look at this gift that I'm able to share with people, yeah, right? And I, that that is absolutely a gift you have because I do not have that gift. <laughs> well, I don't have it to the extent that you do. I might say watch a lot of movies and television. Yeah, you are like lean into that hard and I don't, but it's one of those things where like, that's something that you're good at and you are really good at using those things to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a gift worth naming. Right. So yes, I I think a takeaway, and then this will be our kind of our last thing before we move on to uh, our little musical interlude is when, when we say and ask the question, what do you do? Right. What happens is if we ask that question, what we're doing is we're reducing the person that we're talking to, to the to the answer to that question. Right. And we are so much more than what we do and the connotation of that answer. Because it's not what do you do? It's what do you specifically do? That makes you money. What is your job? Yeah. Is the connotative answer. Right. That is because it's not what do you do? Because what do I do? I I garden, I cook, I, you know, read, I like to sit on my front front porch with loved ones. Storyteller. All these things. Because you could answer that when someone says, what do you do? Well, I do. Today, I play the piano. Today I did laundry. I read right? books. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to answer that question. I made what, food. What do you do? I Today I vacuumed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, went on a little yog. Um well, we're so much more than our job, Correct. right? We are all the things and so much more than all the things that we can name. And so when someone answers that question, why do we limit who we are often by answering that question in such a, a reductive way? Um, and when we ask that question, like, what's a, what are better questions we can ask, right? Instead of asking, what do you do? We can ask, like, hey, what do you love? Yeah. What do you love? How do you enjoy spending your time? Yeah. Like, are we not going to learn more about who we're trying to engage with and connect with? Who's your favorite family member? Who's your least favorite family member? Ooh, that's that sounds like a bit, a little bit a of bit, a floodlight. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're <laughs> skipping a few steps. Yeah, no, for but, sure. Like, Don't do that. <laughs> but okay, so again, on the, the thirty six questions, that's uh, that's question thirty four. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So when we're cultivating meaningful work, and if that's something that we're focused on, asking people what they do might be counter to to that goal for ourselves, right? By yeah. reducing others What's to it, what they like, do. Because I've, I've always had a workaround with that question that now that like, I think about it, because my job title doesn't necessarily def- like tell you what I do very well. I'm a senior programs director. Right, exactly. And some people are like, so what does that even mean? And so, but when I get to talk about what I do, or it's like, well, I get to, I help supervise every youth program in, in these counties and get to create sp- summer camps and and 
after school and sports and all this fun stuff. Like, so it, it, I get to, I all automatically get to elaborate. And then people also like view that as noble. And so there's a little bit of a, oh, you seem passionate oh, about wow. that. Like that seems, that's incredible. I, you know, don't do that. So there's a little bit of that that I've gotten lucky with by having that type of job. Yeah, absolutely. But, but again, yeah, you're not exactly what, you're not just what you do for money. Yeah. So I just, I wonder if we can help people uh, by challenging our listeners to not ask that question. I love how, the question, what do you love? Yeah. How do you open, how do you open your initial questions with people as you engage with new people? How do you open that up to be more life giving? All right. This has been a really cool, really cool thing that we've been grappling with. So we're going to take a nice little musical interlude and come right on back. theme song to halloween uh cool october i love that don't love that y'all i'm giving up sarcasm and it's really hard uh but what giving up sarcasm has done is i have really noticed and i've become way more aware of when i have been sarcastic and so it's it's become people call you out on it yeah probably even now like when it's just borderline sarcasm. Yep. When they're like, mm, is that what you wanted to say? It's, and it's, it also makes me feel so defensive because I'm like, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I digress. I'm more than my ability to not yeah. be sarcastic. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. All right. So y'all are pros at this by now, listeners, because this is our 11th episode. Can you dig it? Yeah, it's time for dig. We like to, to dig into things. And so the way we're going to dig in is we're going to start with D-I-G. And so get deliberate, get inspired, and get going. And Brene brings us into first getting deliberate by asking us to write a, a list of our criteria for what is meaningful. Hmm. So she asks, like, is it inspiring? Is it creative? Like, what are the qualities of meaningful for you? And how can the criteria you come up with be a, this, this filter for future decisions? And that really reminds me of your earlier comment of having a value system that is the filter through your decisions. Mm -hmm. And so kind of like as these two things come up, that's Brene's recommendation. You already said that earlier, mm -hmm. but in order for you to get deliberate about what is meaningful for you, I'm really curious about how, how are you going to start really being intentional about making this a priority for yourself? 
right now, I think the, the biggest thing that I, I can start to do as I'm looking at the intention of which I'm setting these this parameter is my life's changing a lot, right? I'm going to get married here in a little bit. My, my values have to shift a little bit. Like my cornerstone values might not change, but priorities and decision-making becomes more of a partnership. So yes, I have my own personal ones, but then there's also things that I have to discuss in that manner and, and think about through that lens as well. And so I think it's partly it's just am I consistently reflecting on where I'm at mm. and asking myself the questions of is this life giving? Does this meet your value system? Yeah. Are there do you need something else to feel joy? Are you feeling joy in this? I think that's I think that's one question for me that's a big one is like, does this bring you joy? And yeah. I think that's a big part of it. If it doesn't anymore, then and realizing that it's not a stagnant question, right? It's it's not one that you ask and then you're done, right? Correct. It's something you have to re- continuously come well, back well, to, right? I think right? that's something, right, with, with relationships, with work, with any type of thing like that. Like, what brings you joy at one point might not bring you joy anymore. I used to love Dane Cook comedy specials. Like, that doesn't bring me joy anymore. <laughs> right? Like, that's that was 12-year-old me. And so, I, th- you know, I think there's there's certain aspects of it. You know, I used to love if, if, to get into, like I used to love being a camp counselor. Mm, me too. I don't have the energy for that anymore. Nope. Don't, um, don't I still, I, I love that job. I love it I, too. But if you ask me to sleep in a cabin with, with 12 kids every week for 10 weeks, I, I can't, I, I couldn't do it. There's, but not that, well, not yeah. well, not to the best of my ability. There's, I, I would miss relationships that I have with friends and, my loved ones mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily care as much about not having when I was 19 because that was my centers of relationship. Was that the yeah. place I was at? I'm not at that place anymore. Um, and so I think that asking yourself what brings you joy, I think that for me is that's probably one of the biggest ones is, is it meeting my value system? Does it support me and the future I want with with my family? And does it bring me joy are probably my biggest ones right now. So that's really interesting because that makes me think of we it makes me think of Toph and and not in the way that what you just said but it just kind of I, I went from A to B. Toph to C. would have been a terrible camp counselor. Yeah, very true. Yeah, um, <laughs> love her. Yeah, terrible camp counselor. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Michaela mostly. Um, but uh, I I think that. I'm curious about like her progression because uh, what we know of her is that right after um, Avatar The Last Airbender and going into the comics, she starts a metal bending academy, right? Where she becomes, she, does, yeah. she becomes a teacher of metal bending and she has a few students um, and that's her, her gut is that she wants to be a metal bending teacher. And then what we learn in The Legend of Korra is that she eventually becomes the chief of police. And that's a really interesting progression. And I'm, and I'm curious whether, and I, we don't know, we, there's no way to, to answer this question unless we go in and talk to Brike. But uh, even then, they'd have to write the canon for it to be actually something we can reflect on. But anyway, I digress. I, I wonder... They might not even know. Yeah, right? exactly. I wonder what it would be like to consider, like... Did she do this because what were the supposed tos for Toph? Like what was what was the self doubt? Because I didn't sense a lot of self doubt. For me, it was more like this is what I'm supposed to do because I am really good at metal bending and I can do this and this is my gift. 
And that feels like really life-giving. And then going into police, I like, I don't know how she got there. I feel like there's always been a sense of autonomy with Toph that like her autonomy brings her joy. Like her autonomy. So I think there's a little bit of, I want to do a metal bending Academy. I like metal bending. I want to do it. Yeah. I can do it. I'm going to do it. And I think there's a little bit of autonomy that maybe allows her to find purpose and meaning. So even if it was, even if Aang begged her to be the chief of police, I think there's part of it that she's like, I can be good at that. I want to do it. I'll do it. Right. Yeah. So like, I think there's maybe a little bit of that that comes with it. Cause that is, I think that can be a piece of what brings you joy. Like the freedom of making my own decisions in a yeah. way that I want. It could be a deal breaker for someone in their career and meaningful work. Yeah. It just reminded me of when Alicia said that she wasn't sure how Toph went into policing because poli- yeah. policing seems so anathema to her younger self of like, no, I'm going to break the rules to like, no, I'm going to enforce the rules and like hold everybody accountable. And it just seems interesting. Cause I, I just wonder, but again, people change over time. Right. And Anyway, it's it's interesting to me to think about. I wonder if she had been deliberate through her process, if that's the path she would have taken. And maybe she, maybe it is. And then maybe maybe it's different. Maybe it would have been something else. Is there something? This is this might be a little off topic, so let's shut it down fast if it is. But is there a little bit of something? So we're gonna move to I. Hold on. At <laughs> least let me get this out into the ether. Is there a little bit of? I like to only follow the rules when they're my rules that like, and there's a little bit of like, you're more likely to do that. If you're the one making the rules, I think of like a kid playing Foursquare. I hate playing Foursquare with children, love engaging in, in games with, uh, in, in that setting. But like Foursquare drives me up the wall because every child has their own rules that they like to play by based off of their strengths. So if, I snake eyes a, an eight-year-old. Snake eyes aren't allowed. And you're like, well, okay. Well, let's figure out what is allowed. And then I slam. Oh, slams aren't allowed. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> so like, Bus stop. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that. Or if they're good at snake eyes, snake eyes are allowed, right? So, you, you know, that's my, that's, that's my tangent question. Yeah. Maybe. I wonder if that had anything to do with Toph being cu- willing to... I'm, I am very, very interested in listener uh, evaluations on Toph's trajectory uh, in her work. I am. Please send in a voice memo. Two minutes or less av- or, or to the archive at gmail.com. Yeah. That'd be great. Do that. All right. Uh, next is I. So we've D, done. I get inspired. And so the question is like who or what is inspiring for you in terms of cultivating meaningful work? So for me personally, one of the moments I love most in everything that I've done from, from, uh, from, from being a camp counselor and youth, uh, so even what I do now is that moment of where it clicks Mm. or a moment of achievement or celebration clicks that kid hits the archery target for the first time that child canoes a uh, 11 mile can like river for the first time or um, a full-time staff member has a really great conversation with someone that they're supervising and supporting that they thought was going to go terribly, but because they use certain things that we talked about, like felt that it was really productive moments where people click and feel good at what they're doing and feel connection and joy like that inspires me. 
And so I think yeah. for me that uh, if I'm not feeling that I get to contribute those moments, I'm going to start questioning, all right, am I still in the role that I'm meant to be in? If I don't feel like I'm having opportunities to do that or that I'm not seeing that happen as much. Yeah, that sounds to for me that sounds really hard because it's reliant on other people right can be it's so well it's it sounds like it inherently depends on other people's response to you rather Mm -hmm. than coming from intrinsically from you and i think that does that make sense it does and i think that goes to what do i feel good at i feel good at being able to connect with people yeah to get that reaction so if you don't see that then it's kind of yeah so if i'm not if I feel like I, so if I'm don't see that then it's is it me and then I and I I don't feel mm. personal shame when those moments don't happen unless I it's prolonged or like really yeah. wearing over time. Um, so yeah. So just seeing validation of gifts is is inspiring for yeah. you. Yeah. Um, Brene lifts up the book uh, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Um, Oil in the Spoon. It is an incredible book that I highly recommend. Oil in the Spoon. That is a great story about Oil in the Spoon. Yeah. It's in chapter four. Um, Oil in the Spoon. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, But the whole book kind of illuminates the ties between gifts and spirituality and work. And it's just a really, really beautiful book. I I highly recommend. I'm probably due to reread it. Actually, it's been a few years, so it's time to reread it. But... That's what she lifts up as something that's inspiring for her in terms there's of a, cultivating meaningful work. There's a story about... Is it a spoon? <laughs> and, a and child oil? holding a spoon. All right, we're going to move on to G. <laughs> it's the only part I know in that book. We're going to get going. You know the story of Narcissus, too. It's the prologue. Oh, that's right. Um, anyway, uh, G, get going. Get going. Right? So we've done D, we've done I, we've gotten deliberate, we've gotten inspired now. We got to get going. We have to put this into action. So what can you do today that is a baby step towards cultivating meaningful work in your life? What is, uh, what brings meaning to you? My answering that question might be the answer to that. It might be thinking about like, what would be your slash career goal, right? Your, we don't do slash careers, X slash Y career. Um, what do you, what? You said we don't do slash careers. What do you mean? Are you a podcaster slash a student? Yeah. You're so much more than that. Yeah, but it's I'm not answering what I do. I'm saying, <laughs> what? Yes, good. Yeah. Listing out, like taking the steps to actually make that list of what inspires you. Mm-hmm. And like, like so for you, Sunshine, specifically, what what is a the actionable thing that you can do to work towards a little bit more meaning in your, in your work. I think today, cause I, th- I think you can do this at any point, right? Cause the answers are always going to change. I think today it is, I'm going to sit down and ask myself, are, is my current work meeting the three or four standards that I want it to meet? Oh, that's such a good starting point. Like, what am I doing now? And, Am, is it living into no. my standards? And that's it. And the answer might be yes, and it might be no, but those aren't the only answers, right? Because we're not living in a binary. It might be sometimes. It might be like most I of the really time. I really love 40% like, percent of does, my job. Yeah, it does 20% of the time, and that 20% feels awesome, but does that – Is it worth is the it 80? Is it worth the 80, right? Or it could be it's 50-50, and the 50 is totally worth the other 50. Yeah. 
or it could be 60 40 or if you're really lucky it's 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 75 25 or 100 zero right yeah like, so it can be all of these things and it can be yes and no at the same time the yes. same interaction can be a positive one I think of like uh, parent engagements right now. There's there's so much joy that that comes with talking with a parent and helping them feel great about what you're doing yeah. is also so equally at the same time like mentally draining. And so it can be both. Yeah. <laughs> it can be all all things and everything. No more binaries everybody. We're done with them. All right, we have done it. We've done Dig. We've done the full content episode. Yay! Um, we've talked about the Avatar things. Season two of Korra coming out soon. Season two of Korra. We are excited to announce that our first episode for this uh, Legend of Korra season two will come out on november 9th oh that's so close that's so soon november 9th will be our our drop for book two of the legend of korra so get excited drops a great song by the band far side yay so this Drop. is this has been a wonderful episode of bending not breaking sunshine thank you so much for joining us <laughs> I'm Always so, a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you having me yeah, on as a guest. It's been so great having yeah. you as a guest on my show. It's so rare that we get to do this. Yeah. Uh, well, recently, I mean, anyway. Life happens, um, man. Planning a wedding? Y'all. It's a lot. Y'all, just planning like a, you know, wedding weekend is hard for me because I'm like, ew. Anyway. And you got partners to help with that. I'm so excited to <laughs> thank uh, Noah Blanchard for editing and supporting and producing this podcast. He's so great. He is great. Very thankful for Max Gongaware. And <laughs> He's so great. Normally I say Alex Mayfield, but this is Chun Chine, so that's that's him. So Still I'm not going to say his name. And so thanks you to just everybody. Did say my name. Thanks to Patreon, everyone on Patreon supporting us. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you to everyone who has listened and engaged with the podcast. Until next time, be well and do good. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>